Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. This week, Pastor Tom Hughes starts his new study through the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, we get an introduction to the times that Daniel lived, in which there are prophetic implications for today. The book of Daniel will give us strength for today and prepare us for tomorrow. Let's jump into it. We are beginning the book of Daniel this evening. It's been a long time since I've been uh, taught through the book of Daniel. Um, refer to it a lot because so much of the book of Daniel comes into play in uh, everyday life. And um, uh, we're going to learn a lot as we're going through Daniel today. Tonight we're going to get a good background, but Daniel is a powerful book. Daniel is a prophetic book. It gives us strength for today, and it also prepares us for what is coming tomorrow. And with that, thinking of what is coming tomorrow, uh, consider some of the things that are in the news right now. Um, Satellites are starting to watch your every move. Imagine that. Kind of scary, the way technology is going. These are just the things that we know about. Imagine what we don't know about. I was on his channel the other day with Mike McIntosh, and we were talking how technology is probably uh, 10 years further along than what we find out uh, by looking at news sources, even news sources that aren't part of the regular news. And you think, man, what I know, what I've been able to read, uh, it can be quite frightening, but at the same time, I know what the Bible tells us, that this is the way it's going to be. Our names are going to be in a database. Nobody can buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast. I don't plan on being here at that time. I plan to be raptured. But nevertheless, this all falls into that, that category of uh, watching everything you're going to do. And then here's this. Facebook's Libra could aid law enforcement. Um, how many of you know what Libra is? Fa- not, not the October birthday thing. Um, the Facebook money thing, the global money system that's coming. It sounds like it is coming. And uh, tw- uh, 12 nations are going to implement Libra in 2020, early part of 2020. So that's less than a year away. And you're looking at that, and uh, there are now people that are starting to say, hey, this could be this global currency that we really need. And it was Steve Forbes who said, who told Mark Zuckerberg, you really should call this, not call it the Libra, but call it the Mark. And I thought, well, Revelation 13 says something about the Mark of the Beast. Anyway, it's just kind of interesting. But law enforcement is learning, hey, this can really help us control things, drug trafficking, uh, bad stuff that takes place, and as was told to some law enforcement officials at a meeting, look, we're going to have all the data on pretty much everybody. So if you need to strong arm somebody, you're going to be able to. Isn't that nice? So, but these things are coming, and the Bible does tell us these things are coming. Artificial intelligence, predictive policing could lead to mass incarceration. So you start looking at this in the direction that all of these things are going Again, this is technology, being able to predict if you're going to commit a crime, have you arrested and thrown in jail so you don't commit a crime. How convenient is that for a a world leader who says, I want to get rid of this person. And uh, and so you're labeled as a criminal, let's get them before they commit a crime and lock them up. Kind of wild. I mean, you just look at the ability or the possibilities, even if something like that doesn't actually work, what you could use it for if you say it does work. But again, uh, um, 
I look at this in the light of the book of Revelation and other passages in the Bible, including Daniel, and realize this is the world that the Bible told us we would be here during the days just before Jesus returned. We're, we're living in it. Earth had a near miss with a city killer asteroid. Uh, I read about this. It said the problem. Anybody hear about this asteroid? Okay, a bunch of you did. So apparently the asteroid was in the line of the sun. So astronomers couldn't pick it up because the sun was too bright until it was almost too late. But I was reading about this particular asteroid. I think they said it was 30 times the size or the strength of the bomb that hit Hiroshima if it would have hit Earth. It didn't, but I do know this. Revelation chapter 6 says that stars will fall from the sky during the tribulation period as figs fall from a tree late in season. So when I hear about an asteroid like this, a near miss or meteorites or something like that, I cannot help but think what the Bible told us would happen during the time of the, uh, the tribulation period. Then we have the pestilence issue. Ebola outbreak unstoppable as victims refuse treatment, fearing government is behind the disease. So imagine that. You have millions of people in Africa. Uh, the fear uh, of those millions of people is the people who are affected with Ebola. They aren't going to go to a, to a treat, treatment facility. Instead, they're going to go to their friend's house, their family's house, because they're thinking the government's controlling the treatment facility. We're not going there. So imagine that. And then the, the uh, probability of a disease, a pestilence, and some kind of outbreak is absolutely enormous right now. Um, and then here's this. Ebola outbreak in the United States is a national security threat too. And you, because, because of what the CDC is reporting and the World Health Organization, it's not a matter of if there's going to be a massive outbreak of some form of pestilence. It is going to happen. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, when he said it was... Uh, there would be pestilences in the last day. It was plural. It wasn't just one. And you look at the threats that are happening right now, and they are enormous. Right now, there's a lid kept on it. But sooner or later, that's going to be gone, according to the Bible, during the time of the tribulation period. Drug-resistant malaria is spreading aggressively across Southeast Asia, scientists say. So it's hearing these things. And there's a lot more that's out there. These are just a few things for tonight as we consider the world that we are and we get to, uh, an opportunity to understand the days in which we live. Let's go to the temple in Jerusalem. Top rabbi in Israel, we must build the third temple. Um, interesting. Uh, this article says, Israeli children prepare for third temple in new playground expedition. So, will there be another temple that is built in Jerusalem? There will be. I can say it unequivocally because of what the Bible teaches. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, Revelation chapter 11, Daniel chapter 9, which we'll get to eventually in the book of Daniel. So we know it is coming. So when we hear more and more Jews talking about building the temple in Jerusalem, look, they're saying Muslims get to worship where they want. Uh, they have Mecca. They also have the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the Catholics have uh, the Vatican. And in the world out there, it might not be to you, but in the world out there, um, Catholics and Protestants are all lumped into the Christian thing. So the, the world views uh, the, the Rome as being representing all Christianity, regardless of what you and I think, right? They look at that as representing all Christianity. 
and then the Muslims have Mecca, Jerusalem, and another place, and the Jews have, well, they don't have anything. Why not? And so they're saying, look, this is wrong. We own Jerusalem. We own the Temple Mount. We'll get into that in a little bit, too. Um, but uh, why can't we have a temple? So there's more and more of this energy that's given over to building the temple. And then this, also regarding Israel, Erdogan, the president of Turkey, says, uh, whoever is on Israel's side, we are against them. And, uh, you know, again, that's just a sign of the times, because we know in the last days, Turkey, Iran, and Russia are going to come against Israel, right? Okay. Well, speaking of, look at this from the Jerusalem Post. Twelve licenses are approved for gas oil exploration off of Israel's coast. Um, this is a huge, uh, enormous problem for Vladimir Putin and Russia. Uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, so Israel has their discovery of oil. They have their discovery of gas. Well, now they have 12 leases they've given over to England, actually, and said, look, you can have this. This is all yours. Uh, this puts Putin, this puts Russia in a very precarious position because Russia supplies Europe, including England, with their oil and with their gas. Suddenly, Israel becomes their biggest, the biggest threat to Russia's economy. Isn't that interesting? Better believe it because according to Ezekiel chapter 38, Russia with Turkey and Iran, they come against Israel because of an economic issue. As for economy, they come to take the plunder that Israel has. Uh, they aren't going to win. God will stop that. So you look at that and you think, well, th these things are all really, really heating up. And then uh, there's this. Hundreds arrested in Moscow as protests pile pressure on Putin. Is this going to force Putin to make a move? Or is, this gonna, or is Putin going to be gone and somebody else is going to come in? Interesting dynamics are happening in the world right now, aren't they? So you look at all of these different things and you just sit there and go, it's just so strange that everything is lining up like the Bible said it would. Oh, wait a minute. It said it was going to happen. That's how we know. And we can tell because of what the Bible says. Over 800 signs are in the Bible regarding the second coming of Christ. And we keep watching all these things, all these different pieces of the puzzle all falling into place right now. And then there's this very tragic news, second mass shooting in 12 hours, nine dead in Ohio. Uh, this, of course, is with Texas before that. Um, earlier, uh, yeah, on Saturday, Texas with El Paso. And, uh, and then Ohio, the mass shooting at the Garlic Festival the week before. And uh, we're hearing more and more about these things. And um, these things will only increase. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man lawlessness will abound. Let me tell you something. Lawlessness is abounding on the city streets. Lawlessness is abounding in shopping centers, in, in, in uh, uh, garlic festivals, bars. Uh, lawlessness is abounding in the courts. Lawlessness is uh, abounding in city councils. Lawlessness is abounding in schools. Lawlessness is abounding in Washington. Lawlessness is abounding, and Jesus said, Lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. And man, are we, as people don't have love for one another, uh, the sanctity of life is gone. And you look at all of these things, and you think, man, well, you know what we need? We need what Daniel needed, an understanding of the times. And that's what we're going to get. When you look at these things, these things are terribly sad. Uh, devastating news. So how do you work through these things? How do you... How do you work through these things? So Daniel is a prophetic book. Daniel is a powerful book. 
Daniel gives us, strength for today prepares us for tomorrow. To give you an idea, chapter 1 is an introduction to understand the times that Daniel lived with prophetic implications for today. Know this also, we've all heard it, history repeats itself. If you want to know what's coming, all you've got to do is look at what has already happened. And you can see there are patterns. History repeats itself. And as things happened in Babylon and in Jerusalem 2,500 years ago, I believe history is repeating itself again even today. And we have application in the book of Daniel to strengthen us in the times that we live. With that, Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. In other words, he stole all the things out of the temple in Jerusalem, brought them home to Babylon to worship his own idol. Then the king, verse 3, he instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Uh, this is as far as we're going to read in Daniel tonight. We're going to get to some other passages to really help us get a good understanding. What I really want to do is lay a foundation so we can understand uh, the times that we live in. We're going to find out uh, next time that Daniel was a vegetarian. I do not know why. Uh, the king of Babylon didn't understand that either. I'm not, you know, I, 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 but I guess it works, but we do not have that tonight. We have a barbecue, beef burgers. If you want a veggie burger, we can work that out for you. We're, Daniel loved it. We're good for him. We'll see all the implications of that uh, next time. Also in the book of Daniel, uh, we get to chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. He sees this statue, and Daniel explains to Nebuchadnezzar who it is and what he sees in this statue. You have the head of gold, and you, you, you have the breastplate, you have the thighs, you have the legs of iron, which were the Roman Empire, and then you have the ten toes that are made of clay and iron. That is the revived Roman Empire that I believe is coming. So we get a look back at the old Roman Empire that was around in the days of Jesus, and then we get a look forward into what is coming with the revived Roman Empire and a, a, a new world order. It's just a fascinating fascinating book and daniel gives us insight that we don't have elsewhere and there's so much application we're going to be with shadrach meshach and abednego when they're thrown into the fiery furnace and they're in this great trial daniel's missing well they're in the fiery furnace where did daniel go uh, you have daniel thrown into the lion's den when he's an old man you have belshazzar who sees this hand writing on the wall basically your days are numbered like Man, there's a handwriting there. This isn't good. And it wasn't good. Daniel's fascinating book. It's an encouraging book. It's an uplifting book. It's a strengthening book. But it also projects into the future of the last 
day. So to help understand the times and really lay a foundation like I said we're going to do tonight, a couple of main points I want to look at. One of them is when the kings of God were evil. What happens when kings are evil? When you have a bad leader. Uh, the Bible tells us this in Proverbs chapter 29. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. I I indeed, it happens in all generations whenever you have a good leader versus a bad leader. Uh, Israel had a lot of bad leaders. Judah had a lot of bad leaders. Uh, the area that we're talking about when it comes to Daniel is the land of Judah. I'll explain that to you in just a minute. But the first thing we note about when the kings of God were evil is uh, the king of Judah. Uh, here, at this time, we know, verse 1 tells us who the king of Judah is at the time that Judah and Jerusalem are besieged by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. His name is Jehoiakim. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. That was in 605 B.C. It was in the third reign of Jehoiakim. Some say 609, 608 B.C. when Jehoiakim be, uh, began his reign. But Jehoiakim was a, uh, he was a bad ruler. He was a wicked ruler in the land of Judah. So let's get a little bit more history, all right? It'll all connect, uh, but I hope you can handle history tonight. Can you? Because you're going to get some. But history repeats itself. And what we saw happen then, I believe, is what we are witnessing, uh, the direction of the way we are going today. So go back um, to 1000 B.C. Uh, David is the king of Israel, is what you would call it. Judah, uh, all of the, the land, the 12 tribes of Israel. David dies, and David's son Solomon reigns. Solomon dies, and then after Solomon dies, his kingdom is split. Uh, you have Rehoboam, Solomon's son, stayed in the south, and he's reigning in Judah. And Jeroboam, uh, he goes up to the north. The kingdom split. I won't get into all of the reasons for the split, but it was just a, a bad, uh, as a, Solomon's son really messed up. Other people really messed up. And it, it caused the kingdom that was once ruled by David and the Solomon to be split, just like you see on the screen. So you have the northern tribes and you, uh, uh, the ten tribes of the north, the two tribes of the south. The ten tribes of the north, uh, Israel, were known as Israel. Um, it's also sometimes referred to as Samaria uh, in history. Um, they were invaded because of their wickedness by the Assyrians about a hundred, just a little over a hundred years before Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, before Nebuchadnezzar came and invaded Babylon. They were wicked. In fact, for those of you, how many of you have been to Israel? One of the, just a few of you. One of the most fascinating things to see in all of Israel, and I'm sure you'll attest it for those of you who have been, is when you go up to the northern part of Israel, you're way up here, and uh, you, here's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you're going way, way, way up here. Here you got the border of Syria and, and Lebanon now. This will all be called the Golan Heights. You're way up this area, the area of Dan, or the tribe of Dan relocated. And uh, this guy, Jeroboam, had a temple built up here. And you see that temple. When you go to Israel today, 
you, if you're going with me, you'll take a walk to where the temple is that caused the division of Israel and why the northern kingdom was judged. Jeroboam built a temple up here and told all of the ten tribes of Israel, you do not have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. You get to stay up here. We got our own priests. We got our own religion going on. That temple is still there. This is the craziest thing. I have groups sit on the, sit on the temple steps and we teach from passages like this about what went wrong. Anyways, Assyria uh, dominated and destroyed Israel about a, a little over 100 years, about 720, 722 B.C., and so now it's about 605 B.C., and Judah is about ready to be um, destroyed. The southern kingdom is about ready to be destroyed. Jehoiakim was a wicked king. What did Jehoiakim do that was so wicked? Well, I'm, I'm going to show you what the problem was, why God brought Babylon to Jerusalem to destroy the kingdom of Judah. After all, they're his people, this is his land. God wasn't going to put up with what they were doing. Again, this is important because I believe history repeats itself and we're watching it. So the Bible tells us this, Jeremiah 22. In fact, if you want to turn to Jeremiah 22, I'll show you this in just a second says this, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages. Well, what is that all tied to? Well, if you go over to Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, 22, let me get over there too, the Bible tells us this, um, God had a, uh, a good king in Judah. Uh, his name was Josiah. In fact, there were a good king, a, a few good kings in the area of Judah. Both David and Solomon, uh, Josiah was a good king, Hezekiah was a good king. The northern kingdom had zero good kings. They were all bad in the northern kingdom. But the southern kingdom had some good kings. One of those good kings was Josiah. Josiah had a couple of sons. They were not good. In fact, they were very bad. One of them is this Jehoiakim that you read about in Daniel chapter 1, who God also references here in uh, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 22. And this says this in verse 11, Thus says the Lord concerning Shalem, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, who went from his, this place, he shall not return here anymore, but he shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. Uh, Shalem was a bad king. But then in verse 13, God shifts over to the judgment coming to Jehoiakim. And this is what he says about Jehoiakim. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. This is a reminder how much God hates it when you abuse other people and you don't take good care of them, don't show them kindness. Don't rip off your gardener, for example. Your gardener comes and mows your lawn. Don't say you did a lousy job and just so you don't want to pay him. God judged Jehoiakim for this. Uh, this kind of thought process. Uh, verse 14, he says, I will build myself a wide house, a big house with spacious chambers, cut out windows for it, paneling with cedar, a painting with vermilion. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar, God says? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? In other words, your dad, Josiah, was a good king. You have completely turned from me and you treat other people awful. Then it was well with your father. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, and it was well. 
Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my master, or alas, his glory. Uh, God says, and he goes on to dis- talk about how he is going to judge Jehoiakim for some of the things that he did. That's just part of what he did. And then in 2 Kings chapter 23, the Bible tells us this. Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, another thing he did, But he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land. What is that all about? Pharaoh said, Jehoiakim, you've got to pay us. Uh, you just got to do it or we're going to make your life miserable. Jehoiakim says, okay, I'll just tax the people more. This would be the equivalent of our government saying, we are going to tax you more, and that money is now going to go to the U.N., That money is now going to go to all these bad things that our enemy out there wants to do us. Well, let's pay off Russia. Well, let's give some money over. You start looking at how this works, and you start seeing in America, but not only America, you start seeing what a tangled web we have weaved. So Jehoiakim was giving money. He's taxing the people. He's giving it to the enemy, and God says, listen, uh, this is a bad thing. We also know of many of the other things that the kings of Judah did. They sacrificed babies, they worshipped other gods, they turned the nation from uh, the true God to commit the sins that the pagans would commit. Hence, in the north, as Jeroboam said, you come here and you worship in the temple that I build, you don't have to go down to the south. In the south, they weren't saying that. You could still go to the temple, but don't really believe in that God. Right? So they were shifting the thought of uh, the people away from the true Lord, and they were replacing in the minds of the people. It was, uh, it, it was just bad news all the way around. Second um, Kings chapter 21 tells us about another king. So all of this plays in. You just got to bear with me for a little bit longer. Well, maybe a couple more hours. No kidding, just a little bit. Um, so you have Jehoiakim, who was a bad king, one reason that Israel... Uh, or Judah was judged, the southern kingdom. Uh, Manasseh was also a bad king. What's interesting about both Jehoiakim and Manasseh, Jehoiakim was a very bad king. His dad was awesome. Listen, just because you're a great dad doesn't mean that your kids are going to turn out great. Um, but train them up in the ways of the Lord. I don't know what jo- Josiah did about training up his kids. Uh, David didn't do such a good job of it in the Bible. Solomon turned out pretty good, but uh, not all of the sons did. Um, Jacob had his hands full with his 12 kids. Um, but, but back to the kings, Jehoiakim had a great dad. He turned out bad. Uh, Manasseh had a great dad. His dad was Hezekiah. Wow! And yet Manasseh was a, uh, was a um, wicked king. If you would turn over here uh, for a couple of minutes, uh, uh, 2 Kings chapter 21 uh, check this out. Let's see. Second Kings chapter 21. Uh, it helped to set uh, a little bit more of uh, the problems uh, of, of that uh, were created and why God judged Judah and why we are where we are today. 
and why we need to be concerned. Ready? Okay, 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Wouldn't that be, I mean, imagine that, a 12-year-old king. Have you ever seen a 12-year-old? <laughs> a 12-year-old king. Wow. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, or something like that. Manasseh, verse 2, did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. What are the high places? Those were the places of false worship. Hezekiah tore down the false worship altars, and Manasseh said, I don't care what my dad did, I am building them back up. Um, he rebuilt the high places, he raised up the altars for Baal, he made a wooden image, as Ahab the king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord has said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons, get this, pass through the fire. Do you know what that means, verse 6? When his sons were born, he burned them to death because he was worshiping false gods. He made his sons pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and Solomon his son, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I put my name forever. So God says, I put my name in Jerusalem, I put my name in this temple, on what we would call now the Temple Mount. And you got all kinds of problems going on with Jerusalem, and all kinds of problems going on with the Temple Mount. God says, this is mine. Satan says, I'm going to take it. That's what was happening back here. Verse 8, And I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses had commanded. But... Verse 8, verse 9, they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Wow. God says, if they would only walk the way I want them to walk, the way they're supposed to walk, the way that's good, the way that's right, I will bless their socks off. But, but they refused to do it. You know the reason why Manasseh was able to lead the people into wickedness? Because they wanted it. You know that? If they didn't want it, they wouldn't have gone that way. God gives a people the leader that they deserve and the leader that they want. And it happens in churches too. The Bible talks about the last days when teachers, excuse me, teachers in pulpits will rise up and they will be tickling the ears of the hearers. You know why? Because the people want to hear this kind of stuff and those kind of teachers will come in and they won't give them the truth. They'll just give the people what they want to hear. It happens in churches, it happens in nations, and this is the way that it has always uh, happened. Um, so here's what, what was going on. Manasseh made his sons pass through the fire. These kings were evil. Jehoiakim was evil. Manasseh were evil. 
they, they sacrificed babies is what they did. Uh, and they led the people to, but the people wanted it. The, they, were, they were voting for it. Not everybody. Not everybody. But a lot of people did. The courts did, the leaders did, and the religious leaders were even on board with this kind of stuff. So if you can see this, it's not real easy to see on these two screens. Uh, this is Jerusalem in the days of uh, Jesus. Uh, this, this, can you see these red lines here? See those? Okay, number four, number five, number six. Uh, those are uh, numbers of valleys. These are taken from this picture, by the way, uh, returntogod.com. And uh, this is from a document, uh, the valleys where Yeshua walked. Um, when you go to Jerusalem, you see all of these valleys. The Kidron Valley is this one. This is the valley that Jesus would cross over. This is the Mount of Olives right here. Okay? This is the Temple Mount area now. There's a gold dome here. In the days of Jesus, there was a temple there. But this is Mount of Olives. This is the Kidron Valley. Uh, this is the old city of David right here. David's palace was right here. Um, this is the Tyropian Valley that goes right through here. The western wall, by the way, is right here, in case you're wondering. Um, so you have these valleys, and this is the Hinnom Valley. Um, by the way, if you look at that, it says modern sheen. That's uh, the letter in the alphabet, the sheen. Uh, people, my Jewish friends have told me, uh, that is the name of God. And notice how in Jeremiah, right here, or 2 Kings, God said this, verse 4, in Jerusalem I will put my name. My Jewish friends tell me, God with the valleys has made the sheen right there. Um, I'm going to point this out myself, put my own eye out. Um, uh, and you look at that and you go, interesting uh, how this is. But God says, I'll put my name there. My Jewish friends tell me, see, God has put his name there. Um, but the, the Hinnom Valley, again, is this valley. So what's the significance of this valley? This is that valley as it looks today. It's a really pretty valley. It's an awful valley, though the history of it is repulsive. This valley is the valley where Jesus, when he was describing hell, and he says Gehenna, and he's talking about the fire uh, where it never ceases, and he's referring to Gehenna. That's the other name for this valley, Hinnom or Gehenna. Uh, and all the trash was burned out there. The dung was put out there, all of those things. In fact, when you're in the old city, you walk out the dung gate or the lion's gate, uh, the Zion's gate, excuse me, not lion's gate, the Zion's gate, uh, you're going towards the uh, Hinnom Valley, out that way to where the trash would be burned. Was, here's the other thing with this valley, is this is the exact valley that Manasseh had the god, the statue of Molech, set up with the fire underneath, with the arms hot, where the people, the women, would give birth to their babies. The babies would be laid there on the arms of Molech, and they would just be burnt to death, the, the newborns. Um, and we think, how awful is that? Is it the, much different than what we see going on today? I mean, when you stop and you start to think about it, you're like, well, no, we, we just try to do it before the baby comes out of the womb to hide it, right? Oh, well, not anymore. Now it's an afterbirth abortion. But what is the purpose of it? The same purpose that it was for wash, worshiping the God of Molech. It was, it was about sex. It was about being able to do what I want. It was about my freedoms. It was about not having any constraints from this God of the Old Testament. And we would say the same thing today. And you look, and I, and you know, I, 
I want to say this also. If you're a person that's had an abortion, whether you're in here or watching online, God loves you. There's forgiveness for your sins. All you got to do is ask him. I know many women that have had abortions and asked God to forgive them. And there's all this forgiveness. And there's, I've, I've talked with many people that have had guilt, even men who have had a woman commit abortion. And I've just, they felt bad. I've forced this to happen. Listen, the beauty of it is there's forgiveness for anyone that will come to the Lord. And, I, and, and God is good. I know just fab, some of the neatest people I know are people who have done that and come and say, can God forgive me for committing two abortions? There's absolutely, it does not matter. If you come to Christ, he'll forgive you. But one of the things that, uh, that we do in the, in the bus when you're on the tour, you come around, back up, you come around, um, you're, you're, uh, this is all the old city, a city of David, but you're up here is where the road goes now. And you're going past this part of the old city, and the road is here, and you can see the hymn. This isn't very far. This is a very short distance. And um, actually, the road would be right about there And uh, today. And when you're on the bus, you're driving past this Hinnom Valley. Whoops. What did I do? There. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, you drive right past this. And, you know, tour guide will usually talk about different things there. And uh, then I'll grab a mic when I remember and say, you know where we're driving right now? You know where this beautiful valley is? This is the valley where Manasseh was sacrificing the babies on the arms of Molech. And you look and you go, ah, it's just, all of a sudden it just comes, uh, becomes quite disturbing. Um, so, so you can see why God was judging, uh, why God judged Judah. Second Kings says, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he's acted more wickedly than all the Amorites, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity that be Babylon upon Jerusalem and Judah. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood. What is that innocent blood? Again, it's just not innocent people. It's also talking about the babies that were sacrificed. So you start putting everything together, you're going, man, I was going to have us turn to Jeremiah chapter 36, but we do not have time uh, for that uh, tonight. But uh, it was just more of the reason why uh, Jehoiakim and uh, Judah was judged. So I'll real briefly describe what happened. Is this, Jehoiakim was the king when Jeremiah had prophesied, Baruch wrote down the prophecies, you probably have heard of this, Baruch wrote down prophecies, the prophecies were written. They were taken by the reader into the presence of Jehoiakim. The prophecies of judgment were read to, to Jehoiakim. If you repent, it's going to go good for you. If you do not repent, you're going to die. And it's going to be really bad for all of Judah. Jehoiakim took the prophecies and he threw them into his fireplace. You ever hear about that one? And God says, you, you don't even want my word. You don't want to hear it. You completely throw me into the fire. God judged Jehoiakim. Um, Jehoiakim, 2 Chronicles chapter 36 says, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, um, Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles from the house of the Lord to Babylon and he put them in his temple at Babylon. What happened? 
God is removed. The, the things that were in the temple that represented the worship of God were stolen. And when a people turn from the Lord, God will remove himself. In this case, by violence. It's a violent removal of God. The people are screaming. They're suffering. They're being killed. And because they removed God from their lives. They still went to the temple. They still went to church. But they did not know God. We don't have the artifacts of church totally removed yet, but we hear about crosses being attacked, right? Uh, Ten Commandments, monuments being removed. Um, what we really hear about right now is history uh, being revised. Um, if you think of statues that are removed for various reasons, we're watching that the, the attacks against all things biblical are only going to increase. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's a removal of God, a turning against uh, the God of the Bible. Uh, also, again, with Jehoiakim, he practiced soothsaying and witchcraft. Remember that? We read that just a few minutes ago. Um, I, I find this interesting. The removal of God, the idol worship, spiritism, and all those things going on, sacrificing a baby, sound familiar? So, uh, not... not See this person, this is Marianne Williamson. Um, she's running for president on a Democrat party. She was probably one of the most sane-sounding people last week uh, in the debates that uh, the Democrats had. But um, a little bit, just to help you understand thought process. Williamson is a self-help author, spiritual advisor to Oprah Winfrey, insisted that the U.S. doesn't need another traditional candidate who will push incremental change, arguing that current economic system is fundamentally broken. What she said is right. I mean, I'm looking at this, uh, quoting her, people say our system is broken. It's not just broken, it's corrupt to the core. Uh, she also said that one way to fix America and defeat President Trump is through a spiritual awakening. I would totally agree with her. This president is not just a politician. This president is a phenomenon, and an insider politics game will not defeat him. The only thing that will defeat this phenomenon is another phenomenon, and the phenomenon that will defeat him is a spiritual awakening in this country. The problem is her spiritual awakening is soothsaying, witchcraft, all that kind of thing. So when you look at all of the dynamics that are happening then, and when I look at a spiritual awakening, <coughs> we need one in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need. But you, do you see the dynamics of how everything was going back then and how everything is going this direction now? Uh, the rest of this won't take a long time, but we have the king of Judah uh, and also the king of Babylon. So the king of Judah was uh, Jehoiakim. In fact, I'll, I'll go through this quickly. Uh, the king of Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar. We know this because verse 1 tells us the king was Nebuchadnezzar and also the first four chapters tell us about King Nebuchadnezzar. And history tells us all about uh, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, uh, the king of Babylon. Now, Babylon was the greatest city in the world in its time. One of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, was one of the greatest cities in the world at its time. Nebuchadnezzar is one of the greatest leaders, greatest kings that ever ruled in the history of the world also. 
good or bad, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about as far as a leader goes and a king goes, good or bad, he was without a doubt one of the greatest. This is how the area of Babylon looks today. Um, and there are many that say Babylon is going to be rebuilt. Here's why. Because in the book of Revelation, the Bible says Babylon is going to be destroyed by God during the last days. People have said for years, uh, it's not going to be Babylon. Um, Jerusalem will be raised up, but Babylon won't. And uh, I, I, uh, So what is Babylon? Is, is the Babylon that's going to be destroyed in the Bible, is it this Babylon that you're looking at up here that is in modern-day Iraq, about 60 miles, I think, it's southeast or southwest of Baghdad? Um, is it going to be raised up again and destroyed by God? Will it be Dubai? Is that Babylon? Is it New York City? I talked a little bit about that before. Um, Neom, the big new city that's being built, I think, by the king of Saudi Arabia and some others. Um, this is what I think. Personally, I think Babylon, as much as it looks desolate right there, is going to be uh, rebuilt and restored. This is why. Because the Bible says Babylon. Uh, when, you look at, when you look in the Bible. Uh, people say, well, Babylon is never going to be rebuilt. Um, they used to say that about Jerusalem. The Jews will never have Jerusalem again. Well, guess what? People said that before Israel had, before the Jews had Israel in 1948 and before the Jews had Jerusalem in 1967. Guess what? God says there are going to be two great cities in the last days, Jerusalem and Babylon, and I am going to destroy Babylon in the last days. Nevertheless, it is this Babylon. I have some things I wanted to read to you about Babylon but we have so many opportunities to get into Babylon in the future, so I'm going to skip that for tonight. Um, uh, last thing, so we have when the kings of God were evil, last thing is when the things of God were stolen. What was stolen? The treasuries of the temple were stolen. Um, uh, we already read that in, in the, the uh, book of Chronicles, but here in Daniel chapter 1, um, verse, uh, what, what verse was it? Oh, verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, and he gave him some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar stole the treasuries from the temple, and he took them to Babylon. Uh, um, Real quick, I'm not going to get into all of those treasuries. Um, was the Ark of the Covenant part of the treasuries that Nebuchadnezzar stole? I'll get to, I'll get to that to another time, because we don't have time tonight. Uh, fascinating about the Ark of the Covenant, but he stole treasuries. I believe it's the Babylonian Chronicles uh, that say, the Babylonian Chronicles say there were 580 instruments that were stolen from the temple, and uh, some of the stories match exactly what the Jews also say, what Nebuchadnezzar was able to steal from the temple. Uh, was Ark part of that? We'll get into that in another time. But I want you to think of this because uh, Satan tries to remove the history of the Jews from the land of Jerusalem. It's, it's never going to work. It didn't work back in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. It's not going to work now. Uh, this that you're looking at is known as the temple um, sifting treasury um, uh, temple treasury sifting I can't remember what it's called if you google temple treasury sifting uh, you'll, you'll come up with this so this is really cool 
On the last trip we did this last June, just a couple months ago, uh, a bunch of people from our group on their free day, we went over to the Temple Sifting Treasury Project. There you go. And, and they went over there, and they take the artifacts that they find in the Temple Mount area. Gary, I don't know if you ever went over there. This is really cool. They get the artifacts, pieces of jewelry, old coins. Some of these things are literally thousands of years old. They get them, and they make them into jewelry, taking the fact that the Jews had the right to the land of Jerusalem everywhere they go, and the money you pay for the ring it helps support uh, the future work uh, that's going on in Israel. And in their case, they want to build the temple too. But you look at these things and you go, this is just what? There are so many artifacts there that the Jews had the land. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't destroy it, and today the Palestinians can't destroy it. The Palestinians say, we have the land of Israel. There is not one single Palestinian artifact anywhere in the, in the world. Did you know that? Um, you can find Roman history, Greek history, a lot of Jewish history, but you don't find Palestinian history because it didn't exist. But I find this fascinating. So you can check that out sometime when you're there. God says, my name is on the city. My name is on the temple. This is mine. And you will not be able to erase my name from it. Uh, one last picture before we move to the conclusion. This came from Instagram from Stephen Israel. Kind of a cool Instagram to follow. Um, so this is the Temple Mount, right? See that? See what this gold thing is? The temple used to be there until it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Now there's a gold dome on here. So you built this on top of this, and I'm the occupier. This has been here for two, over 2,000 years. This has not. And you look at that and you go, there's just not this Palestinian history, no matter what uh, people say on CNN or whatever. I have Palestinian friends in Israel. Um, they're wonderful people. And not everybody that comes from, that, that's Muslim, is out to kill you, just so you know that. Right? Most people over there actually want to get along with each other. They actually care for one another. But when you start looking at the facts and you realize, okay, here's the facts. Well, let's lay them all out there. And you realize God's name is on the city. This is God. This is God's book. Daniel gives us history from way back to help us line up to where we are today. Last thing. So the things of God that were stolen, the treasuries of the temple and the people of Judah. So we're told here uh, who was stolen. Um, the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel as some of the king's descendants and some nobles. So uh, Ashpenaz, the head of the eunuchs, a eunuch is somebody, quite, frank, quite simply, was, that was castrated. And uh, he's castrated so he wouldn't mess around with the king's harem. Uh, and he'd be more loyal to the king. That's what that is about, right? You guys can figure that out. Um, young men that were stolen, in whom there was no blemish, good-looking young men, gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Um, basically, what is happening here, uh, just like today, they're looking for people who are good-looking. Let's get them. Uh, in this case, good-looking and with brains. Uh, they're a good combination to have. Um, some people got one or the other. And they're saying we need the people who have, or some people don't have either. Um, but, but they're going to serve the king. They're going to learn the language. And they're going to learn the literature. 
this is indoctrination into the Babylonian culture. So what they did, they captured the children of Israel, they took them to Babylon to remove any of their Hebrew roots from them, the thought of God from them, they indoctrinated them into the ways of Babylon. It was history revised. We are going to get rid of your Jewish history. Man, do we hear that today, don't we? Get rid of your history. There's good history of America, and there's bad history of America. But it's all history. And when we get taken out of our roots and we don't understand where we came from, we end up in the same place that the Babylonians were trying to do to, uh, to these Hebrew people. Um, the British government, David Reagan writes, plans to teach relationship education. Um, this means that parents cannot opt their kids out of education. It also means that teachers have to teach it. If teachers don't teach it, like if you have a good teacher that doesn't want to teach this bizarre kind of stuff, the Babylonian kind of stuff, the teacher in England can get in all kinds of trouble, lose their job. Can you imagine that? Parent going to get in all kinds of trouble. Listen, that's happening in England. Is that happening in America? <laughs> Man, I, I'm looking at an American and I'm thinking... Uh, yeah, California seems to be just leading this, this, this direction. And right now, it, it's coming out us full speed ahead where the government's saying we can do better than parents. Probably could do better than some parents. Some parents do a really lousy job. But that's the parents, it, that, that's life. You know, not everybody's perfect. I don't, you know, but the teachers, I mean, the, the, I, I have a lot of friends that are teachers who go to this church. They don't like what's going on with the teacher union. I know people out there that, do, that are not Christian. They make no bones about it. They still don't like what they're told they have to teach kids. And they don't even go to church. They're saying something is wrong with this stuff. This stuff is messed up. Um, we have, Mike McIntosh was talking about this just recently with me, social engineering. And, we, and that's what was happening in Babylon. It was social engineering. You start to change the direction of, you, of all the thoughts that are going into the person's mind in their eyes, in their ears, you change their thoughts. And you start going this direction. That's happening in America. It's happening with the schools. It's happening with the media. It's happening everywhere that you look. If you want more information on this, Tim Thompson from 412 Church of Murrieta, you can go to ourwatch.com and check out uh, his information there. He has all kinds of information on the schools. He can keep you up to date on these things. But what I find interesting, again, about it, is back in the days of Daniel, they took the children from Jerusalem and they took them to Babylon. They're not taking our children away into another country. What they're doing is they're just teaching them with the social engineering that is causing all of these uh, uh, things to change. Um, it's setting the course for the direction this whole thing is going. What did Jesus say about all these things? Luke chapter 21, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So hence is the backdrop of the book of Daniel. Sounds a lot like America today, doesn't it? But in it, in Daniel, there's so much application, so much strength. How did Daniel deal with it? How are you and I going to deal with it? I'm going to tell you right now, it's not about physical violence. That's not the answer. What this world needs is Jesus, and you have the answer. You have the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the world needs. 
So together, as we go through the book of Daniel, we're going to learn these things, we're going to apply them, and we're going to press forward until Jesus comes. Amen? Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.